Hello and welcome to the Norwich Film Festival podcast. My name is Neve Brooke and I'm a festival assistant here at the Norwich Film Festival. Today I'm chatting with Reef Gaskell, the director of Monster. Monster follows a boy struggling to reconcile two opposing images of his dad after a recent discovery, finding himself lost in the unnerving vacuum left behind. In this episode, myself and Reef will be discussing issues that some listeners may find upsetting. So, hello. Today I'm here with Reef Gaskell, the director of Monster. Monster is nominated for Best Student Film here at the Norwich Film Festival. Reef, how are you? How have you been doing? Yeah, doing doing well, considering everything. Um, yeah. um, just, just up in Scotland for the next two weeks, which is really enjoyable. A nice break from London. Oh, lovely. But, yeah. Um, doing really well uh, very very grateful for so are you based in London then at the moment yeah I, I moved down after I was in Glasgow for three years and then um I'm from Scotland but I live there and work there um which is yeah I mean been great and then also bad with <laughs> lockdown yeah I can uh, imagine but, um yeah um so London primarily fabulous well it must be nice to be back in Scotland and having a little bit of a hopefully a relax <laughs> yeah well I would get to um, like with nowadays editing remotely so often yeah uh, it gives me that flexibility and my work is really nice about that so working but in Scotland so it's like <laughs> better in every way fabulous so sort of moving on to Monster what sort of drew you to this story? Why was it important to you that this story was told? Yeah, um, for anyone watches who's watched it, like it's um, it's heavy. Yeah, um, it wasn't initially the taboo subject matter that uh, appealed to me. I rather it was like the loss of innocence. I saw mm-hmm. parallel between this boy's relationship with his parents in this extraordinary situation that Rebecca had uh, written. Uh, And then with my own personal experience, and I assume many others, of growing up and realising that there aren't really any simple answers. Yeah. uh, And that the idea of exploring the limits of familiar love, betrayal, morality, all cooking up in this little 15-year-old boy uh, was something I really connected with. And then I knew I didn't want to given to stereotype at any point in that story so saying that in order to unpack what this boy is going through you kind of have to understand the intricacies of pedophilia in and especially its place in our society as a taboo subject it's different forms of sexuality or uh, sorry psychiatric disorder um, among that and it's just like okay I need to throw my head into that and so gradually the more I learned about it the wider sorry this wider entrenched social issue kind of appeared to me and was like something often ignored and simplified yeah definitely so it took on an equal weight with that kid's journey and basically using it as a cathartic experience um, to explore a story where someone is struggling with their dark side and giving it a fair bit of consideration yeah so it's definitely like you mentioned it's definitely a a heavy film that deals with a lot of heavy topics but it is all about Toby considering it is such a 
sort of a bigger theme, isn't it? And you really stay with him throughout and sort of, I wasn't, ex I don't read blurbs before I watch shorts. I like to sort of have my own experience before I read other things and I was not expecting it. And then you feel his horror and you've, you're in that moral gray area with him and you understand all of those sort of choices he's trying to make. And you make a big point at the beginning of the film to show the familial relationship. You show that they seem to be a quite tight knit family. They're all chatting in the kitchen. You see that they have this bond. Was it important that you had those shots at the beginning to just show how horrific it's going to feel for Toby sort of as the film progresses? Yeah, it, it was totally for, for a few reasons. Uh, one being we figured the natural urge of people in extraordinary situations like this with kids, uh, they want to normalise it as much as possible. Uh, for the sake of the children. And it was important the place felt controlled and clean and this normalcy kind of existed. Yeah. And then, um, and, but then also from a purely structural point of view, it was, we wanted to go from, Rebecca and I wanted to go from simple, clear, idealized, safe. Yeah. To like, murky, difficult. And we figured that the largest juxtaposition there was complete normalcy to do you want to be in that world anymore does that exist is it just a facade and all these other things so yeah it was it was totally important it works really really well because you establish what's going on and then you start you lose trust in obviously his father and you start seeing you start placing in these shots that in any other film would be seemingly normal shots but it's told through Toby's perspective and you start not trusting and you start feeling on on edge and unnerved it's the, the father and the little boys and you just feel stressed and nervous and then obviously at the end with the big plot twist that his mother knew you really get that sort of just the complete trust is broken and you just feel so sort of uncomfortable really was it a, like a having the mother know I wasn't it was a, definitely a plot twist for me it kind of highlights that moral gray area that you seem to be really interested in the sort of the loss of innocence that he can sort of trust nobody now was that a big sort of decision did you know earlier on that she was going to knew could you talk a little bit more about that yeah so the that specific moment when he goes and she's there that was fundamentally to subvert the expectation mm -hmm. <laughs> basically we wanted to make that situation as interesting um, as possible, but we also wanted it to feel like a situation that could genuinely solve itself. Yeah. Uh, and create one that would allow for understanding and dialogue. And we couldn't fathom how to solve that standoff without descending into like a massive shouting match if Grant turned up. So we, we, we looked at the mother and one of the most difficult aspects of this whole story that Rebecca was wrestling with when she started writing it before my involvement was that relationship between Carrie and Grant. Yeah. And she modeled it off of real life examples and articles that she'd found of wives existing in, in a home like this with kids. And then one thing we did was really think about how that character would live what sort of rules they'd have, 
Um, and the idea that imagining that dialogue with herself, her justifying that imagine like a conversation with her parent uh, with her children that she'd yeah. have to really have one day. It was like, well, if you were um, a caring uh, partner who, who, and at this point we were like, the parents have to be ultra sensitive to each other's needs. And she's, you know, been waiting her whole life to pick up on these signs that, um, and, you know, she's drinking a fair bit of wine in terms of nullifying that. Yeah. Um, we figured that this is a moment for her as much as it is for Grant. And fundamentally, this isn't about letting Toby use Grant as a punching bag because you can't really have a, a, like pedophile, non-offending or not, show up late at night with a kid in a park. Yeah. Expect that him to be able to defend himself from accusations. And it was just like, well, we don't want a pedophile to talk and defend themselves. We want to have that from someone else who has spent the last 20 years of their relationship coming to terms with it. And it was important that the person having that chat with Toby has gone through that journey themselves. Yeah, they've sort of processed it themselves. Yeah. It really... A hard decision in terms of how to make that work, but yeah. I imagine there were a lot of hard decisions when it sort of comes to this script because it's not an easy subject to deal with. You have to approach things with such sensitivity and really, you know, examine things and really think about it. But that scene opened up a perspective that I would have never have thought about. I never, you know, have really delved into this sort of situation. I didn't really know anything about it. So it really opens up three avenues of conversation that I'd never even thought of. So it's definitely sort of bringing these discussions into the light. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, I, one part of this story, um, one of the reasons we made it was, well, going back to what I said initially, we made something about a topic that not many people make a film about. And then when they yeah. do make a film about it, it's about the, I mean, there's a hell of a lot of nuance involved in terms of, I, I forgot the feature. There's a, a brilliant feature out. Um, I think, I think it's Ethan Hawke in it. I don't know. Um, and it was just incredible. Yeah. Um, that was about someone who had actually offended um and there's nuance there but we i haven't seen a film i'm not aware of any media out there that kind of highlights the story that i think statistically there's one in third and this film isn't so much about this as it uh, the big thing is about toby yeah like loss of his innocence exactly but in terms of statistics that I had to get my head around to understand why I should tell the story and why I want to do it from a balanced point of view and why I don't want to in the film I don't I I didn't want to say oh um Grant is a monster yeah but I wanted that situation that you kind of have to because I've had people come out I've had the same amount of people come out going oh my gosh you can so see how evil that guy is yeah you cast them brilliantly and then you have people come out being like, oh, my God, like, I'm totally on his side. Like, he looks so 
caring and, yeah. and vulnerable. And, you know, kudos to Ali for being able to play both. I know, it's definitely like, there's a theme of sort of duality almost throughout the entire film. And there's that shot at the end where there's the sort of the reflection of the father, where there's two versions of him. And that really sort of shows how Toby now sees his dad like he's got his father who he clearly cares for and then this new version that's completely stripped that identity from him it was a really powerful shot that little that one of the final shots in the film I really I really liked that it really hit me when I saw that yeah um thanks I mean it was we so I lived with my DOP um at the time when I made this Mm -hmm. so uh, close to a year was just eating up films and <laughs> yeah. uh, like every cool idea ever and we'd wanted to like the whole struggle Toby's going through is fundamentally about his conflicting images of this loving father and yeah. this predator that he's building into his head physically embodying that on screen was the clearest way we could identify that um whole battle yeah to the audience and articulate that it isn't as themes and so we were drawing up so i we'd shot list and storyboarded but um on c and i kind of on set are very like we know what we need to get but then auntie's got a brilliant eye so we can see something additional and so what yeah. chosen this house that we were shooting in and we saw this door and we both looked at each other and went, yeah, <laughs> shoot through that. And um, he ended up making, um, yeah, something beautiful. Like color was a big thing as well and wanting to really play into darkness and all, yeah, it was, it was brilliant working. Uh, I noticed that throughout the film, it goes from the, the bright, clear, at the start with the family in the kitchen because it's such a white kitchen and then throughout it gets darker and darker it works really well it sort of sets the tone and I wanted to quickly talk about the music because it's mm-hmm. so amazing one I loved that you started the music with the printer I, I loved that I think it worked so well because I was like is that the printer or is it strings and it worked so incredibly because it set you on edge just to start with and then you associated with being on edge with the music and being sort of I felt stressed every time because it's this sort of Hitchcockian strings almost. It was absolutely amazing. And it's kind of sparser use of music. It's sort of, it's only in sort of severe moments and it works so powerfully. Did you sort of work with the composer, musician who worked with it? So what was sort of the decision behind that? So Cristala, so this was a film made at our final year of the RCS, uh, the Royal Conservatoire. Scotland up in Glasgow and Chrysala was the composer so like when you're at the student uh, when you're at this uni you've got this amazing talent pool um and Chrysala was the first student I met when I when I went to study there oh amazing that must have been so full circle for you (laughs) I've just like literally like four days ago I phoned her up to like make me make make me something like within an hour fantastic um, but yeah, so um, basically she did the composition and Rebecca and I, Chad, and both wanted like a custom score for it. 
I knew loads of musician friends um, and Chrisella and uh, we'd worked with each other once before then. So it was a natural thing to use her. And then the first thing I do when I come up with projects or start working on things or work on edits for clients is get the music sorted in terms of yeah. just the heads up. Um, there's a lot of uncertainty in this movie and you know Toby's going through this massive shift in his head we wanted to use motifs to kind of embody those thoughts by yeah. you know let audience know and recognize those moments but beyond that people in life don't really have an accompanying soundtrack um and so with this I didn't feel that it was super appropriate to make it super loud and um intense the entire way through juxtaposition is you know the name of the game very yeah but um yeah Chrisella and I I just went in right and went (laughs) and strings and violins and then um she just made it all make sense and she was brilliant at marrying both my desire to help the audience with these motifs that I was obsessed with um with those of playlists we both made um and so she fired demos across to me all the time and uh then at one point we were going to get it all recorded live and then we didn't have time so it was just a case of yeah I mean it's interesting you say that about the printer I that was a sound effect I put on uh, then matched it to that and she actually did the note that matches yeah. the printer uh, and so we kind of made it match like that but then because of a copyright claim for lyrics we used we had to change it and that got by accident so thankfully covid delayed the premiere of the festival that it was going to first yeah. that meant that we could fix that and then put it back in so yeah, I love that little detail. It's such a little de- It's one of those like if you're not listening properly, you'll miss it. But it's such a fabulous little detail because it's the computer that really starts this whole narrative. So yeah. using the printer to kind of start the motif, it was so brilliantly done. I really loved that. I literally going back to the strings. Just one one final thought. When I was watching the film in my notes, I just have a massive in capitals the strings just because I loved them so much. It worked so well. So props to her. It was incredible. That. <laughs> um, I like to ask everyone this. It's sort of the one question I ask everyone. How did COVID affect the production? Did it affect it a lot? Did you come out sort of, you mentioned you went into lockdown with the film. Had it been completed before then? Yeah, so I actually, so this is, COVID's been strange in terms of it's affected its post-life a lot. Okay. And not the actual editing of it, but in terms of the film festival. Mm. Like, just as we, it got accepted into the Glasgow Short Film Festival for 2020. And then COVID happened and it pushed everything back by year, all the other ones, and people weren't accepting submissions for a while and certain things. So yeah, it was basically like a wasted year. So I actually made this film when I was 21 and that was two years ago. Yeah. So shot it then and then a long post-process in terms of that was an intense three, four months, or sorry, three months. Um, but then after that, it was like fixing things, a little amendments, trying to find a life for it. And then, yeah, so it it didn't really affect the making of it at all. Yeah, just but sort it, of afterlife of the film. 
and but yeah so like especially on recent shoots i've been doing and all my future planning like of like especially international co-productions mm. entirely screwed um <laughs> it's definitely a thing to take into consideration but um yeah it didn't damage us too much i feel we're very lucky luckily and luckily you like you said you've still got future productions and things are still in the works so at least it's not affected you too badly <laughs> no, exactly and yeah i wasn't let go during lockdown and stuff oh, so very, very lucky because i know a few of my mates who are in very difficult positions at the moment especially with trying to grab funding for things but yeah. hopefully definitely been a weird year <laughs> sort of going this is my final question and sort of going off you talking about the afterlife are you excited for the this year's Norwich Film Festival I hope you are <laughs> I am so excited I there's there's three films I'm really excited to see oh which ones are they uh so there's one which is also in a screening in the same competition Ooh. and very very confident and calm that um it's going to be amazing so <laughs> it's like incredibly lovely and I'm very grateful for being able to do just get it out and seen again but um very excited to see Requiem oh fabulous just looks incredible and Bella Ramsey is just gorgeous yeah uh just amazing in everything that she's done uh and then there is another film called Contraband made by a director I met recently uh and then i think it what, what was it it was i think it i think it was either sea dragon um or what was it actually i can't remember <laughs> but, but i've been i'm gonna go for three three days towards oh, the amazing. Um, I, I think on sea's coming across from finland i think two other filmmakers are coming down from glasgow just to come and see it yeah, it's gonna be such an amazing week we're gonna have so many filmmakers in Norwich and we're so exciting to welcome you it's gonna be amazing yeah um any recommendations for Norwich oh I'll give you so many I'll send them over but I would say market is fabulous food we've got the lanes it's great bars I'll send them all over to you <laughs> uh, well, yeah. thank you so much for lending me your time it's been a really interesting discussion talking all about monster and hopefully I'll see you at the festival. Yeah, yeah, genuinely. That would be, um, it would be a really nice to actually be able to watch films. Again, yeah, I know. The, going to the cinema. It's going to be um, amazing. It will be, it'll be fun, especially getting into short film land as, again, considering there's just so many, so many incredibly short, punchy stories and, yeah, I mean, last year's Norwich Film Festival, I watched a few and it was just, yeah, so I'm very excited. Yeah, and this anyway. programme looks amazing. So if you haven't already, book your tickets, come see Monster, and thank you very much. <laughs> thank you so much for listening to this episode of the Norwich Film Festival podcast. This year's festival is running from the 12th to the 21st of November, with our online streaming platform finishing at the end of the month. Make sure you go and give us a follow on Twitter and Instagram or you can keep up to date with all things Norwich Film Festival on the Norwich Film Festival website. Thank you so much for listening. I've been Neve Brook and I hope you enjoy the festival.